0: Well, it's good to see you. Um, I know most of you are are kind of good right now, but there's some of you who are freaking out thinking that those boxes should be put in the right order. If you're one of those people, we will be praying for you after the service if you're really struggling throughout. But um, this Sunday, we're starting a series that I am really excited about called Navigate. Now, um, as we... Do these series, we plan a year in advance as to see what the Lord would have us share and what the Lord would have us focus on, and I am really excited about the series. I, uh, I truly believe that over the next five weeks, there is going to be significant change, significant encounters between you and God. And I am praying not just for you, but I am praying that there would be a spirit of courage. a a spirit of stepping out that comes into our midst over the next five weeks that we're going to hear stories and testimonies of people stepping out of the boat and having the privilege to walk on water. The boat is comfortable, but the water is where we are called to be. And I really hope that over the next five weeks, you will commit to not only be here and invite friends, but most importantly, that you would open your heart to what God wants to say in your life. So, we're going to start tonight by reading from Exodus chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to take out a whole bunch of scriptures from there. And if you wouldn't mind standing with me as I read this text. I will read it for you as we read these texts. Get this side today. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Chapter four, verse one to five says, Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it down on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Verse 10 says, but Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in my past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak Lord I thank you for your word this evening I pray that like a sword Lord you would come and pierce your word through our hearts you would speak to us changing us molding us Lord I pray that uh, your comfort would come but also Lord the courage of God would be uh, inserted in our souls to allow us to be all that you've called us to be in Jesus name I pray amen thank you This evening's sermon is titled, From Here to There. From Here to There. How many of you know that currently you are here? Just want to check, want to make sure for our visitors, right? But most of us, as much as we are here, we have a place that we long to be. There's a there in our lives, and 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 like Moses, the here in our lives many times are painful. They're discouraging. And I want to encourage you this evening to never define who you are based on your here. Don't define your life based on your wilderness. The problem with defining your life based on your pain is that when you try to move from here to there, you can't go. Because you've identified so much with your pain that you think that being in that place is where God has intended for you to be. When we realize that our here is just a temporary place that God puts us in, in preparation for the there, then we are constantly waiting for His definition upon our lives instead of allowing ourselves or others to define who we are based on where they see us. If you would have seen Moses in the wilderness smelling like sheep dung, we would have passed him and not seen the greatness that God has placed in his life. How many people have passed you today? How many people have stopped today, acknowledged that God will do something great in your life? I'm willing to bet none, except if you are married to a great woman. Or a great man, I just want to let that out there. Here's the reality of it. We all want to go from here to there. And Moses Before we get to Exodus 3, he is born in a very tough time in the history of Israel. And he ends up being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead of him growing up as a Jewish boy, he grows up in different circumstances from all the other Jewish kids. And he watches his mom being a maid in the house of Pharaoh and he's been grown up as an Egyptian. He knows nothing else except for the Egyptian culture. And as he's growing up, I can imagine him being teased in school, right? Uh, Moses, you don't know how to write on the stone, right? Moses, you don't look like the rest of us. And as he's, he continues to grow, he sees how different he is from everybody else. And then we have this scripture where he sees two people fighting. There's an Egyptian and an Israelite. And they're going at it with each other. And Moses goes and instead of breaking up the fight, he ends up killing the Egyptian. Now, some people think that he killed the Egyptian, hoping that maybe the Israelites then would accept him as one of his own. I don't know i wonder if he just wasn't fed up of all the teasing maybe he was just fed up of being rejected by his own culture rejected in his own home not accepted constantly trying to fit in and never seeming to get in with where everybody was at for whatever reason he kills him and he starts this journey runs away and he's in the wilderness for 40 years 40 years Whilst Moses is in the wilderness for 40 years, he gets married to Zipporah, great woman. But what Zipporah doesn't understand that she just got married to a very broken man. A weak man with very low self-esteem. In fact, when you read the whole book of Exodus, there's never a time when it feels like Moses gets out of this thing called the low self-esteem the whole time, even to the point where he hits his staff on a rod, on a, on a rock, and he can't go into the promised land. You always feel that, man, there's something up with Moses. He doesn't have the same confidence as Abraham, doesn't have the same assurance as David. He's constantly wrestling with something in his soul. And we find him in Exodus 3, walking around after 40 years in the wilderness, walking around, and the Bible says in Exodus 3, verse 3, that he turned aside and he saw a burning bush. Now, the word is very particular. In other words, Moses passed the bush that was burning and he turned and he saw it. The story of Moses is a story of how God will use mightily those who are willing to turn around. Bottom line, if you are willing to turn around, turn from the life that you're living, turn from the life that you have put out for yourself, for your own selfish deeds, if you are only willing to turn and see him, See the bush. The the next verse, verse 4 says, When God saw that Moses had turned aside and saw him, he called him. Many of you are longing for the calling of God, but you still don't want to turn aside. And when we turn around, when we turn aside and allow ourselves to see the inconsistency of God's greatness. And sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't, but when we allow ourselves to... Grab a hold of that moment. Rather, the consistency, the consistency of of God's greatness, when we grab a hold of it, something changes within us. Moses turned aside and God called him. I believe this evening, some of you, God wants you to turn around To turn around and see His glory. Turn around and see Him. He wants you to turn around and see Him in the sermon. Turn around and see Him in your friendships, in your connect groups, in your devotion. To turn around and see Him. You know, if there's one question I would really love to ask the Lord about this text is, Lord, how long was the bush burning? How many days, weeks, months, maybe even hours did it take Moses to see? How long did it take him? Because there's no indication in the Bible that the bush just burnt on that particular day. Only thing we know is that it took him turning around after he had passed it. How many times have you passed the moment, missed the sermon, missed that connect, missed that opportunity to go closer with Christ, and you thought, you know what, they'll preach again next week. Pastor Siv's not going anywhere, Pastor Greg's not going anywhere, and definitely they will be raptured before Ntando, because Ntando looks very weird. (laughs) Turn around. Turn around. For as long as you have jeans with holes, I will tease you forever. (laughs) You better turn around, get some proper jeans. (laughs) Anyway. I want to encourage you to turn around today. You see, the wonderful thing about Moses, he he didn't need to be great in order to qualify to be used greatly. He just needed to say, I see you, Lord. And when he did, God did something in him. Not the sermon today. From here to there. Turned around, and in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4, this conversation begins to take place between God hidden in a burning bush and Moses, smelling like cow dung, stuck in the wilderness for 40 years, low self-esteem, no hope for his future, and he has this conversation with the burning bush. And there are three questions, one from Moses, two from God, that come out from these two chapters. One is, who shall I say has sent me? Moses. Second one is from God, and he says, what do you have in your hand? The third question after what you have in your hand is Moses. Moses, listen to me. I'll be with you. Who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? If you can answer those three questions, you can move today, tonight, from here to there. Make no doubt about it. I'm hoping that the handles that you get today, you'll apply in your life to see God's fulfillment of his purpose in your life. First question. Moses asked the Lord, Lord, who shall I say sent me? Now in Moses' day, even in Jesus' day, when kings sent servants to another city, they sent them out in their name. And so when you were going through a particular town, you would say, I have come in the king's name. And so they would treat you based on the authority and the standing of your king. And the words you would speak, they would treat your words, submit to your words, only if they figured that your king was a higher king than them. They would respect your words because of the height or the glory that your king held. So here is Moses about to be sent in the king's name. But there's something that we always tend to forget about this whole title in the king's name. It's not only about how people treat you when you come in the king's name. But it's also about your allegiance whilst you are in the king's name. So, for as long as Moses is on the mission that God has sent him to, his only reason for existence is the king. That's what the king's name means. When I, when I walk into a place, that's why when they went to battle and they went to fight and the king gets killed, what do the soldiers do? All right, we surrender, right? Because the only reason of us being here has just died. I have no other reason to be here because the king is dead. When you consider what your purpose is, you have to consider your purpose based on a very simple definition before I go to that quote. Here it is. The reason for which something is done or created or which something exists, that what. That's what purpose is. Why has God created you? Why do you exist? You see, if you don't find the reason for your existence, you're going to live a life that will end without any significance whatsoever. Here's what Steve Murrell says. He says, life lived for the wrong reason is like a mist that will eventually disappear. When we live life for ourselves, our desires, without the view of God, all of our life becomes vanity and meaningless. What ultimately determines our purpose is not what we do, but who we do it for. That's what determines our purpose. You see, we have this understanding that purpose is simply that thing that we do and we finally grow and we achieve a whole lot of things for or from But ultimately, purpose is defined by the one who has sent us. He's the one who can say whether we have fulfilled our purpose or not. And and people during Jesus' time were trying to find the same reason for existence. And so we had Greek thinkers who went around searching over and over again to figure out what is the meaning of life. Why does mankind exist? And they tried to figure out the reason for life and they couldn't. And they gave up. And finally, in John chapter 1, John brings a word that is so revolutionary in its time. And it's a word that we know very well. And here's what he says. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not Anything made that was made. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. The word "word" here is directly translated in the Greek as this word, reason. So when you read the text in Greek, it reads as follows. And in the beginning, huh, maybe, I don't know, is there another church? <laughs> because I don't know, I was happy when I found this out. Are you happy? Is there anyone happy with it? Because I'm very happy and even the batteries are happy. Listen, in the beginning was the reason for life. And the reason for life was with God. And the reason for life was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through the reason. And without the reason was not anything made that was made. And the reason for life became flesh. And it, in other words, the reason of life, the reason for life walked amongst humans. And they rejected it. They saw the reason in their midst. They saw the logos And they miss and they rejected the reason for their existence. When Moses is crying out to God, God, who shall I say has sent me? He is not only trying to find a purpose in terms of what he does. He is trying to acknowledge, to anchor himself in the reason of his existence. He is completely lost, completely stuck in the wilderness. He has no idea who he is, what he's called to. If he knows he's called by this God, he has a reason. He has a reason to live And his reason now has become God Almighty. In the beginning was the reason. This is not a secret. It is plain in Scripture. When John wrote this text, it was revolutionary in his time. It will probably explain why John was killed the way he was killed. In the beginning, the reason was very clear. That the reason for your existence is not what you do, but it's a person. And his name is Jesus. And if you start your purpose from this place, everything else seems to make sense afterwards. But if you start your purpose from what you do and try to work yourself back here, you always try and play chess with God to kind of negotiate with Him why you still should do certain things that you like, that you know He's not calling you to do. If you want to find your purpose... The first thing we all need to find is that we need to find the reason. Find the reason. And here's the reason. <coughs> I, I wish Jonathan... You uh, see, he Jonathan, can I ask you for a favor? Could you come up on stage for a moment? Jonathan is a maestro musician and I'm going to ask him to do something very petty. Um, I want to explain... If you mind grabbing your guitar, if they can put it on for me. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to speak. <laughs> so. okay. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to ask Jonathan to play one chord. All right? Just one stringling uh, jazz chord. Play a jazz chord. <laughs> a jazz chord to say. <laughs> all right. That's my favorite joke of all time. I love it. All right, just one little strum, okay. Just one, one little chord, don't make it cute, make it sound really bad. Okay, it sounded way too good. All right. All right, now, when you live your life without a reason, it's like a guitar that has been played. It's like a guitar that, when, when you play a sound, it's easy to forget. Easy to forget. What makes the guitar meaningful is not necessarily its ability to create sound. What makes the gu- guitar meaningful is when, all of a sudden, we move from playing a chord. Play a song, please, that probably we all know. Amazing Grace. Let's, let's be very Christian here. You're yeah, right. Right? Here we go. we remember the song because it was played in the hands of the master your life will only be remembered not because you are capable of doing something good, but because the master grabbed a hold of you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? That the master grabbed a hold of you and he played all the strings in your life that you and your culture couldn't play for you. And as he played you, he played the kind of chords That would echo into eternity. That even past your moment of death, people will still go. Do you remember when she did? Do you remember why she did what she did? Because the master plays the instrument. Paul says that you and I are instruments. And as instruments, Romans 6 verse 13, we shouldn't give ourselves to wickedness, but we should give ourselves completely to righteousness because it's in righteousness that the right hands grab a hold of our life and play a memorable chord that will be the mark of our life. You might know and have the capacity that is way better than mine, way better than your colleague, way better than your brother, way better than your sister. What matters in eternity is whether or not you have allowed yourself to fall at the feet of the reason, the reason. Let's give Jonathan a hand. Thank you. Man, now I just think you should stay up here, champ. They weren't clapping before you played. Now, all of a sudden, now they're clapping and everything. Reason. You find your reason. You allow that reason of life to play the strings of your chord. Second question is this. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said, But what is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? Now, before I talk about the staff in this particular instance, I want you to know that God didn't say, Moses, what do you have around you? But he specifically asked him, what is that in your hand? Not what is that in Andila's hand. Not what is that in Sam's hand. What is that in your hand? You know, the biggest trap to destiny that I've seen as I've walked with people's lives is two things. One is indecision. When you are indecisive, when you don't have the courage to say yes to yourself and no to the enemy. When you don't have the courage to say yes to your gift, yes to the opportunities, and even yes to the challenges that are in front of you, the indecisiveness... Traps us into a life that hedges us in. And we stay in the wilderness way longer than what we should. The second reason is this. is comparison. I talk about this all the time. Comparison. We compare because we think somebody else's stuff will part the sea. No, it won't. It is your stuff in the hands of God that will part the sea's. It is. But when he's talking about the staff here, he's not talking about a gift. You see, all of us have gifts. You were born with something to give. Can I get an amen somewhere? You have something to give. You have a gift. But this is not what God is asking of Moses. Our gifts come alongside to support our staff. And here's what he's talking about. Moses, what do you carry with you every day? Now get me, you might have gifts, but gifts are different to the things that you carry. See, I might sing, but what I carry is a desire to see the nations change with his gospel. Therefore, I do what I do. I have people ask me, all the time, hey, why don't you sing more? I'm like, champ, I could, but this is what I need to do right now to do what I carry to fulfill that thing that I carry in my soul, that he placed in my heart because of the condition of man that I saw around me. There are things that you carry Some of you carry a burden for justice. You carry a burden for the poor. You carry a burden for beauty, photography, cosmetics, whatever it might be. Hair. You carry a burden for sports. And don't let anyone define what you carry to be anything less than what they carry. Because God has given you something specific that adds to the tapestry of His glory. What do you carry? Your gift comes alongside of that to help you fulfill that thing that is in your soul. What are you carrying? The Bible says that the gift of God, the gifts we have, rather, your gift will make a way for you before kings. But here's what I want to say to you. Your gift might make a way for you before kings, but what you carry will allow you to make a way for others. We see it in the Bible, and you're going to see it in this text. That he says to him, Moses, what is that in your hand? It says, it's a staff. This is the thing that Moses carries all the way till his death. He carries with him all the way till his death. But here's a reason why God is going to use your staff. Here's a reason why God is going to use what you carry for the kids. Here's why. That they. So we need to find the reason for our existence, we need to find our stuff, that thing that we carry, but we need to find our people. That God has actually called us to serve with our gifts the people that he's called us to. That we give of our time, our energy. We spend sleepless nights aching, thinking, planning, preparing for they. And here's why. So that they might believe that the Lord has appeared to you. Uh, Again, I love the choice of words. He doesn't say, so that they might believe me and find salvation. What he wants from your stuff, what he wants from your gift, is so that people can go, what? He's different. That's all he wants. That people can see what you carry. And as a result of seeing what you carry, they are challenged to believe in something greater than the day-to-day, than the mundane. Find what you carry. Find your staff, but find your people. Find your people. Find the people that you are called to and find the people that you are called to walk with. I'm telling you, you're not going to get there by yourself. I thank God for the people in my life that have been called to me and I've been called to them so that I can go. So that I can go. This man, he's Mr. Hinton. His name is Anthony, uh, what's his name? Anthony Hinton. 1985, in the state of Alabama, in the States, he was arrested for a crime he did not commit, for murder he did not commit. He served in death row for 30 years, 30 years. During those 30 years, he watched about 53 of his inmates be executed as he waited for his own execution. Recently, Anthony Ray Hinton was released and exonerated of this crime that he never even committed. I love this picture because it allows the man behind him to be so blurred as to think that he's insignificant. But the man behind him is a guy called Brian Stevenson. He is this guy's lawyer. He spent over 10 years trying to get him out for a crime that he did not commit. 10 years. Brian Stevenson never wanted to be a lawyer, in fact, didn't even know what he wanted to be when he was in high school and when he was studying in varsity. He had the privilege to hang out with people like Rosa Parks, who kept on encouraging him in the the stuff he was carrying. There was a point where Brian Stevenson decided that, man, what I want to do with the rest of my life is fight for equal rights. And so every now and again, Rosa Parks would sit down with him and he would ask him, so Tell me what you are going to do. And he started sharing the vision of this equal rights movement that he wanted to build. And at the end of, of, of him sharing it, one of Rosa Parks, said, uh, Rosa Parks' friends said to him, Hey, you are going to get tired, tired, tired doing that thing. And one other lady said, That's why you need to be brave. Brave, brave. Now, here's what I want to say. Here's a man who found his staff. He found the thing that he is meant to carry all the days of his life. And that was justice, equal rights for all. And then he found his people. He was in the prison, in the prisons, finding people who couldn't afford lawyers and finding people who who he could help based on the thing that he carried. Do you think Anthony Ray Hinton had money to pay him? No, he didn't. But when you carry stuff, you don't always care about what you get in response. I don't care what you pay me. I genuinely don't. And I haven't for a very, very long time. Thank God. Ask my wife. But I carry something for you. And if I don't get the chance to do what I'm supposed to do for you, it will be far worse for me than if I get paid more for what I do. Do you understand what I'm saying? that we compromise what we carry because we believe that somehow what we carry must be determined by the zeros at the end of our bank check. Or it should be determined by how many amens or how many agreements we get from our parents, family members, or friends. It it doesn't matter. What, What you carry drives you through stuff. It pulls you out of stuff. I've had to say more things. I've I've had to say more no's because of what I carry. Your gift makes a way for you. Hey, you're so good at this. Come, come, come. But because of what I carry, I have to say no, no, no. Because I'm not going to compromise what I carry so I can sit in a lofty place. You carried something, you carried it for a people. Find your reason. Find the reason, find your staff, and find your people. Lastly, find your courage. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. How many of you have tried that line? Either in my past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of, and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go. Now therefore, go. When you acknowledge you when you find that thing that you carry, there are certain things that you're going to come up against. And many of them are going to look like this. You're going to come up against self-doubt, relationship doubt, provision doubt, God doubt, purpose doubt, skill doubt. Ever, ever felt that? Felt like the Lord has called you to something. The moment, just after he calls you, like, hey, man, I've called you. Bus hits you. (laughs) Lord, why? (laughs) Right? Joseph. Joseph, he's minding his business. He wasn't asking the Lord to give him dreams. He's minding his business. Probably listening to some R&B. And he's chilling at home. Just chilling at home, longing for his wife to come. Boom. Dream comes. He sees sun, moon. God gives him an interpretation. Guy is way too unwise. I wish he would have come and chatted to me. I would have helped him out. He goes to his parents and his brothers, the same people that he thought. If I share my dream, they will support it. And so he goes to them. Hey, listen. I am going to be your leader, though. (laughs) What? Yes, it's going to be amazing. Brothers, father, mother, look at him, think he's crazy. While he's still basking in the glory of his dream, boom, he's in a pit. What happened? Stuck in a pit. He gets out of the pit. He's in, he's in Pharaoh's home and he, he's second in charge, doing great things, wonderful. He can see, oh man, I am leading, I am growing, finally I am a leader. What happens? Boom, one moment. He's back in the pit again, back in prison. I am telling you now, when that moment of significance comes in your significance comes in your life, and you have a realization of what you're called to do, the exact opposite always happens in your life. That big deal you've been longing for, praying for, oh Lord, it's going to come. That moment when you are, man, Lord, I'm about to go there. The exact opposite happens. And all these things begin to happen in your soul. Self-doubt, relationship doubt, and all these things. But here's what I want to tell you. For every Abraham, there's a mountain of sacrifice. For every Elijah, there's a Jezebel. For every Moses, there's a Pharaoh. For every David, there's a Goliath. For every disciple, there's a persecutor. For Jesus, there's a cross. And for Kayser Chiefs, <laughs> listen. Now, I don't want to uncode that last bit. I do want you to know that the godly was first and the ungodly was second. Listen, to expect the Christian to be without suffering is to literally take away your path and destiny, to rip away suffering from your life as a Christian, to rip away hardship Tension, challenge, to rip away enemy from your life is to take away the exact same thing that you need to go from here to there. But it's what you do in the challenge. It's what you do in the challenge that determines what happens in your life. Moses, we read at the end of his life, the decisions that he made that we didn't have a chance to see when we read The book of Exodus, Hebrews 11, recounts Moses' story and it kind of unpacks the decisions that he made. It says, by faith, he made his decisions by faith. When he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. When we read the text, we think maybe he was just walking around and something haphazardly happened. No, he made a conscious decision to say, I am refusing to be called this because he preferred to endure hardship over the uh, of the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin that choice still stands today you can choose the hardship of the people of God or the passing pleasures fleeting pleasures of sin he considered the reproach of The Christ, that is the rebuke, he would suffer for his faithful obedience to God to be greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. For he looked ahead to the reward promised by God. Now, here's the thing. Every Christian will go through suffering. But unlike the average person, every Christian will go through suffering with a deposit of God's joy inside of him. See, God is the worst person to watch a movie with. Have you ever tried that? If you had to sit down with God like Abraham did, Abraham is freaking out, looking at the story of his life, going, it's not going well. This is going to be a disaster. Oh, my word, somebody help me. God likes to spoil movies, but he does it with one or two quick lines. He looks at Abraham Just like he would look at you, tap you on your shoulder while you're watching this very bad scene, enemies approaching, I'm about to die, things are going crazy. And in a very quiet voice, God rocks up in your life and he says, listen, all things work out for the good though. I saw the end. I saw the end. If you want to know how the end looks like, this is how it looks like. All things work out for good for those who love Christ Jesus. My responsibility in that entire text is to love him. I have nothing else to do in that entire text but to keep my eyes fixed on the reason. And he says, I have predetermined that all things will work out for the good. I've seen the end of the movie of your life and trust me, it turns out good. I think there's some things when we get to heaven, we will never understand down here, but when we get to heaven, He will allow us to look back and understand, oh, that's why I lost him. I didn't get it. I spent 10 years being upset at you because I lost him. But I look back and I see why. I I spent such a long time just upset that I lost that company. I, I don't get it. Why I had to be fired. Why I had to be without a job for six months. But maybe when we have a glance in heaven at the bigger picture of eternity, we'll look back and we'll go, oh man, things really did work out for good. They really did. I just care that things work out for the good. They don't have to feel good all the time. They just need to work out for the good. But here's a beautiful thing. God doesn't only promise to be with us in suffering. He also promises us utmost joy. That we get to experience the pleasure of His heights whilst we experience the pleasure of his presence in our lows, that we get like Moses to spend 40 days up in the mountain just experiencing the ecstasy of his presence to the point that we have no need for food, no need for water. We are so satisfied with the richest affair. We're so satisfied with God that he allows us to go through what we need to go through so that we can experience him in a different way. And so this evening, as I close, I want to remind you of these very four things. If you want to move from here to there, it's very simple, but very hard. You need to find the reason. You need to find your staff. You need to find your people. And you need to find your courage. Find your courage. And here's what we're going to do as we... As we close, if you're here and you know, man, I'm struggling to find one of these, two, one of these four things, we're going to open up a prayer team here to come and pray for you. And I want to encourage you to be vulnerable, to be bold in your requests. That you say, Lord, I, I am desperately wanting to know what my stuff is. When you go home, take down these notes and pray and ask the Lord to show you. Ask the Lord to direct your heart so that you might know these four things as you make your journey from here to there. And trust me, God will be with you just as he was with Moses.